Hello there, Obi-Wan Kenobi here, and you're listening to Frontlines, the Clone Wars podcast, brought to you by StarWarsDaily.com. The Force will be with you, always. Frontlines listeners, and welcome to a special episode. This would be our 49th episode of Frontlines the Clone Wars podcast. I am your host, Michael Cohen. Uh, I am coming to you uh, flying solo this week, uh, as I'm just here to really quickly introduce uh, what you're going to be listening to for the remainder of the hour. Um, I've been wrestling for the last 24 hours with this piece of video footage that we recorded on uh, Friday morning, or was it Saturday? Friday morning. Sunday morning? Sunday morning. There you go. Uh, Sunday morning, as uh, Celebration 5 came to a close, uh, we were lucky enough to be invited by Lucasfilm to take part in their press conference for Season 3. Some of the voices that you'll hear on this will be uh, Supervising Director Dave Filoni, and then uh, a whole uh, host of uh, voice actors from the series, including Matt Lanter, who plays Anakin Skywalker, uh, James Arnold Taylor, who plays Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, we've got Ashley Eckstein, who plays Ahsoka Tano. Uh, Dee Bradley Baker, of course, the voice of the clones. Tom Kane, who voices Yoda, as well as the narrator and Admiral Yularen. And uh, Catherine Tabor, the voice of Padme. So, I. Uh, they are going to field some questions. The audio is a little bit spotty in some places. Um, those of us in the press who were asking questions, we didn't have a microphone to ask them. So we were just kind of uh, standing up and, and calling them out. Uh, and, uh, and then the, uh, the, the members of the cast would, uh, would respond, but they had a microphone. So you're gonna be able to hear them really clearly, but you're, you might not be able to hear the, uh, the, the questions being asked, but don't worry. Uh, there's plenty of great information either way. So uh, really just, just pump up your volume and, uh, and, and sit back and enjoy this quick preview into uh, season three of The Clone Wars. And we will catch you guys in about a week's time. Um, we should be doing our big 50th episode. It's a very large milestone for us. Uh, myself, Matt, JC, and hopefully some other people will be stopping by to talk about C5 and uh, everything crazy that we saw while we were there. Um, it was uh, it was a pretty packed weekend, and we have a lot to talk about, and uh, and we will get to that in the next week or so. So stay tuned. For now, enjoy this press conference from Star Wars Celebration Five. So, so obviously. Is there any secrets left from season uh, season two that, or season three that you want to blow? It seems like last year it was all the Thank you. all the announcements were on like two episodes, and it feels like there's way more than two episodes of content you guys reveal. Excuse me, sorry. Um, but yeah, what you're seeing here is really like the bare minimum that we can reveal. It seems like a lot, I guess, but it's really just not. I mean, the thing about season three is that. Any particular episode that we would have picked, it would reveal to you something that you guys would know a lot of information about. And a lot of questions um, that have gotten at this 
convention are funny in that I think that season three answers a lot of them, so I won't have to. So, you know, when we do a trailer, especially this early, there's a lot of factors. One is production, how much footage is done. A lot of things were rushed just to get here, like um, the clip of the Republic Commandos. Um, literally, Joel and I <laughs> were racing around last week on Friday, getting that footage in, calling for retakes. Um, I didn't even get it. It was sent down uh, via secure line to me here. So um, it was so last minute. But, you know, like last year's trailer was only from the first front of episodes because that's all we had done. And we don't want to give everything away. You know? We're just whetting your appetite for uh, the bigger picture that you're going to see when you watch the episodes. Yeah, I, I would say just as... Uh, is that... Yeah. Um, Watching all of this stuff, I, for us, you know, because we voice it, you know, a year prior, practically, you watch it and you go, oh, yeah, oh, that's right. Because in my head, I'm thinking about this stuff that we've done before, which is a completely different world from that. So there is, it's, it's almost like there's three, episodes, uh, three seasons in this season, to me, it seems like, or, or more, you know, where each one tells a new story and takes you to a different place and answers different questions. So there is so much more to look forward to. And uh, it's great that people feel like, wow, you answered so many things, but nah, <laughs> you didn't answer anything. <laughs> well, and I don't know how much I can say, but at least for Ahsoka, I feel like from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, um, she grows up a lot. She goes through uh, just, I think, a major evolution just in terms of maturity from the beginning of the season to the end. So definitely look for that for her. <laughs> Quietest oh. room. Let's go. Sorry, sorry, five. Five. Got a question. So I was inside um, Hi. Uh, I just want to ask, um, how much does Ahsoka um, encourage Anakin to leave Freddy's man up? Because he's kind of an immature guy. Not you as an actor, but Anakin as a character. <laughs> 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 We like to give Matt a hard time, don't we? <laughs> Matt, Matt left us for a, a couple, two months, filming <coughs> vampire stuff. Yeah, he's been seeing and, um, We missed him. We, we have a good good group going on. Yeah, the, the other thing that was fun, the other night we were all kind of hanging out together and the TV was on and there was a commercial for, for vampire stuff. <laughs> there was Matt and we're like, wow, and Kat was like, what, what did you say? You're like, I said he looked hot even though he was painted white. I mean, I think that as, as far as um, manning up or whatnot, with Ahsoka, I've had a really concerted, focused effort at where she started in the Clone Wars film and as far as what her evolution is going to be in this entire series. You know, I have a very focused goal with her and where she's going to end up. And part of that is stripping away the kind of yippy skippy happy attitude that uh, you see. It's not to say she's not a positive character. I think she's an incredibly positive character. And I, I think the days of her telling Anakin to man up, and, you know, those are kind of gone. If it happens, it happens in a way that, you know, Han yells at Luke, uh, you know, nice shot, kid, don't get cocky. You know, and she kind of plays back and forth off of his own confidence that, that he has really taught her. And I think that that's, that's something that we've worked tremendously on. They become more like peers and brother and sister um, than anything else. And uh, I mean, before every voice report session, I tell Ashley, he's super nice and cute, to take all the cute cousins, <laughs> focus it all into a little tiny ball, get all the giggling what, out, what's throw the, it away. What's the note, kicking puppies or something? Yeah, you know. <laughs> Because I don't, you know, I want Ahsoka to live in a slightly more hardened state because she's been, you know, in a war for quite a long period of time now. Even though she's faced mainly battle droids, she has a lot of difficult challenges this year, and she has a lot of revelations to what the nature of the Clone War really is. And I think that those revelations occur for the audience as well. I think, if anything, uh, rather than you know, telling Anakin to man up, uh, I think she kind of starts to take on a little his characteristics a bit in season three. Um, you know, she is becoming her own her own Jedi in, in her own way, but I think she's kind of uh, uh, taking 
its characteristics into her own. Actually. Padawans are shaped by their masters. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, she still does question him from time to time, but yes, for a lot of the snippiness and sarcasm um, is gone. She cares for him so much, and I, and defends him and sticks up for him and, and cares about what he thinks. And they've gotten a lot closer, I feel like, like you said, brother and sister. Yeah, more brother sister than. Yeah, so a lot, a lot of the snippiness and, and just the jabs here and there are gone. I think the, the questioning is more on the lines of, but you taught me this in the beginning, and this is the Jedi code. How come we are, how come you're saying differently? Well, so it just happens that I believe we had had more security than this clone military, that we wouldn't have gotten in the clone war in the first place. So instead of just getting Anakin's, you know, more pragmatic side of this is how you train as a Jedi, she's starting to get the teachings that he's getting via Palpatine about how the Republic will be restructured into an empire, which Anakin is getting um, throughout the years from Palpatine, who's very much a replacement father figure um, who competes with Obi-Wan for Anakin's destiny, basically, Palpatine for Obi-Wan. Yeah, and, and I think that Ahsoka is kind of like how I looked at Obi-Wan sometimes, too, where kind of the eyes of the audience, she's kind of all us. A lot of points at this, I would say, at this point in the storyline, and uh, she kind of takes those emotions out. But the best thing for us as being a cast that get to record together is watching these scenes and watching uh, the acting with with Ashley that she's been doing, which has been tremendous, and then also some very cool scenes with, with Matt and Ashley. Well, but I have to say, these guys, because I'm still a pattern one in, in voiceover acting. And there's one episode, there's a three, three part, uh... Careful. Yeah. There's some episodes coming up. And, um, I really didn't know how to, how to read the scene at all. It was a very difficult scene. And, uh, James came over and he said, try it this way. I think she read it this way. And it worked. And honestly, I, I wouldn't have wouldn't have even given that performance hadn't of, you know, us working together as a cast and just taking their ex advice and expertise on voiceover. It's one of the great benefits of working uh, as an ensemble together in the studio as we record the story, that we can feed off of each other and that it organically, the solution to what this particular scene has to be, we, we come up with that right there together as a, as a team. Arnie from Star Wars Action News. When the Clone Wars started, it seemed like there was this big assumption about the five years out there, but never been seen an official statement that it's going to run five years. Does the Clone Wars series have an expiration date set, or is it based on ratings? Uh, we're in a very unique position, um, as far as my experience in animation with the Clone Wars, and that it seems like we're going to be making it as long as George likes it. He's so independent that way. He spoke about it a little bit with his movies yesterday and how he's independent from the bigger system and you know he was gonna make those movies because he wanted to make them regardless of what everybody else thought and um, I, I have felt that way making this show and I've always felt like the, I really just need to prove its value to George time and again. I mean I'm really happy that Cartoon Network loves the show so much and they've been incredibly supportive um, but really my audience is George first and foremost and um, my, my CG supervisor, Joel Aaron, hopping around taking pictures. Um, he and I were just talking yesterday about how listening to George talk about how he made those movies and being up against the wall, the problems of not knowing how we, you would accomplish anything. People saying, you know, wow, we, we can't really do this, George. How are we going to do it? And we're up against that all the time in the film because we don't have a canned formula to make a show. We, we have things that we want to do, whether they make sense or not for the time and budget that we have. And we just try to figure out a way to do them. We just forge straight ahead. And Joel and I would rather, if the Clone Wars ever ends, it'll probably end because we burned out brightly trying to do something completely ridiculous in animation for television. And it just completely broke. And Joel's mind's mind went nuts. And that's it. Um, uh, th and that would be, a, I think, a great way to go out artistically. Already. It's
it's really up to them. I mean, I think there is a level that if they're going to watch it, you know, we will keep making it. The other level is probably like, we'll keep making it regardless and George will watch it at home and have a great time. <laughs> he'll be the only one that knows what happens to Ahsoka. So, I mean, right, he is right now anyway. So, I mean, you know. That's the way I look at it. At the end, we all go to jail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a question for Dave. Dave, in the, in the press release, it says that uh, in this transformative new season, um, the fate of the galaxy hangs in the balance, and the destiny of the chosen one will at long last be uncovered. Mm. Don't we already know what's being uncovered and who's the chosen one you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, that, that, to answer that would be to answer a lot about um, those particular episodes. Uh, that that particular copy, I, when I read that, I said, yeah, oh yeah, the destiny of the chosen one as far as being balanced with the force in the bigger picture of the Star Wars universe and the confrontation between Anakin and Darth Vader and the Emperor and, you know, that all does get resolved in the big arc of the sixth film. So I kind of thought, hmm, well, that, that's kind of known. But I think that the bigger questions are on a very personal level as far as Anakin and the Jedi always running around in the prequel saying he are you're the chosen one you know we that really comes up she, we haven't really said it in the series much at all and you would think it'd be foremost on everybody's mind like everybody's just kind of waiting to see what kind of magic Anakin is going to whip out to be you know indeed the chosen one and Henry Gore and I often talked about what they must think it means to be the chosen one in this time of war. We thought maybe they think it means that unlike most of the other Jedi, Anakin's incredibly adept at fighting. And he is incredibly adept at fighting. He's incredibly powerful. So that there seems to be some relevance to his fighting in the Clone War. But as far as the nature of that balance and <clears throat> what does Yoda and Mace Windu, what do they believe it really means to have balance? It seems to me it means that a lot of Jedi have to die to bring balance, because there's an imbalance already. You, you know, you can't have lightness without darkness in, in, a, in a lot of philosophies. So I think those things are attacked in a lot more detail and at least tested in a lot more detail. And, and to reveal any more would be a little bit dangerous. But mark my words, I, I, what I, I know of you, my friend, your podcast will analyze the episodes that revolve around that statement in that article more than almost anything we have done. If you want, it will be a special, and you will be calling me, and I might have to fly out to Ohio, wherever you are, to be in studio to kind of deal with your emotions. When I say that season three deals with big time stuff, it deals with big time stuff. And it deals um, with a lot of, uh, you know, things that I think that personally, on a very personal level, we've been waiting to have at least brought to the front of the story. And when George was handing out some of the season three outlines to me and the writers, we were just like, wow, really? 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 <laughs> and, you know, that it was a great time for us as a group of writers to just have an experience sitting down with him and getting into the nature of, of those things. So you will not be disappointed. And if you are, we'll still make a great discussion. So, but you won't be. Thanks. Long answer, sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. So at Fictional Frontiers, now, I've uh, bandied this idea around for quite some time that the Clone Wars and the Star Wars saga, they're, they're definitely the Clone Wars parallels what we've seen with the original saga, that Star Wars lost the Oscar to Annie Hall, which I don't quite understand how, but at the same time... Talk about, about an imbalance in the Force. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> um, at the same time, Hollywood at large recognized what Star Wars was, and you just saw copycats, and you saw other studios trying to replicate that effort. So. In my estimation, what you've been able to accomplish in half an hour is, has been unparalleled because basically you're telling a completely dramatic tale that appeals to both young and old within basically 22 minutes. And we were at San Diego Comic Con covering the event and it seems that every studio is trying to position their particular franchise in the same fashion. They're trying to, and they're even going to be an animation. I'm not going to mention which particular studio, but I'm sure 
they probably know who it is, that there's one particular studio that's, that was the big event down in San Diego that's trying to do the same thing. You know, I guess whomever wants to answer this, it's to each of you. As, you know, coming from your different backgrounds, how do you each view the Clone Wars as professionals coming in and looking at it objectively from the outside? Well, personally, I mean, I, it's a little hard to divorce yourself from being a fan. So, you know, my first instinct is always like, well, it's Star Wars, so they can try all they want, but, you know. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, Yoda said, yes. <laughs> so there's some wisdom, 900 year old wisdom for you. <laughs> I learned that from my children, I did. <laughs> but yeah, it's, so, you know, but yeah, it's like, you know, it, it, exactly, okay, Star Wars lost to Annie Hall, and that's great, but, you know, where are they? You know, so, it, you know, and, it's, and it, I know it's a bit of cockiness, but I think at this point it's somewhat earned, so. There's something about Star Wars that's just magical and special above everything else, and even if it's, you know, not critically acclaimed as much as it could or should be, uh, the fans, you know, that's what makes it what it is, and nothing can touch Star Wars. Yeah, but there is a big chowder, um, you know, convention next month, so we'll uh, <laughs> <laughs> But I think that also the great thing about the Clone Wars is it has been, I think, fairly well critically accepted as, you know, one of the best things on television, and I, I concur completely, and it's just, people have to start looking at the stories that, that you guys are putting together, Dave, and it, that is what drives any good, look at Pixar, why are they so good? Because their stories are, you know, close to perfect. Well, these episodes can have the greatest, you know, actors in them and, uh, and voice actors and people and sounds and things, but if the story is no good, who's going to care? And why are, why are fans that grew up with Star Wars now introducing their children to Star Wars? Because these shows, and not just because it's cool to look at the pretty lights and pictures, but because the stories mean something. There's a fortune cookie there at the beginning, as we kind of call it, but that's a lesson, that's a life lesson. And that goes along with Dave Filoni's way of life and, and thought process, and George Lucas's, and that's a really good thing. So, no matter what anybody says, at the end of the day, this show is, is, is giving people so much more than just entertainment. I mean, I, I know the, the vast majority of the audience the dads and the moms that are watching this with their kids, they just, they watch it and they enjoy it. But I've had people come up to tell me that they talk about the fortune cookie with their children. What does that mean, Dad? Well, and they have a discussion about it. And I'm going, name me another cartoon that that's ever happened, ever. It well, just doesn't, that's just, you know, it's amazing. Well, and not even another cartoon. How many other shows on television right yeah. now can the entire family sit down and watch together and there's, the show is for the entire family. I mean, there's some kid shows that, yeah, the, the parents are going to watch, but they're not really made for the parents. This is for all ages, and all ages will enjoy our show. And there's really, there's not many other shows on TV. There's that nothing like yeah, it. I mean, it's there's really, nothing like it. The, 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 creative, the creative culture, the creative engine that, 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 that makes this show is utterly unique. It's, it's, it's set in wilderness. Uh, not in the Los Angeles, in, in the big city. Uh, I, I think it's 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 run by people and served by people who themselves are genuine enthusiasts for what this makes, and who each individually expect and 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 try their best to exceed expectations and to outdo what has just been done, which was remarkable in any case, and so. You, you have this, this creative machine, this engine that, that, that continually outdoes itself. And the proof is in the pudding. When you sit down and you watch these shows, it's like nothing else. It's, it's like nothing else that you're seeing on television in the way that it, it grows and, and the way that it continues to, to make new creative choices that are risky but that are successful. I mean, it, it, it's, such a, it's such a unique... Uh, thing to be involved with, but it, it really feels like it's, it's different from the, the normal studio or, or Hollywood machinery uh, that produces other stuff that, that, is, that can be very good, but, but it, this is a standalone different creature, is, is how it feels to me. It, it's, it's, a, it's a real thrill to be involved with it. And I think, you know, creatively, as far as other studios are concerned and whatnot, I, I have friends in all these other studios. I mean, they're all working hard, too. I don't... Uh, 
put myself on any kind of pedestal by any, by any means. I mean, I, I came up through the industry and learned from some incredibly talented people along the way, and I've applied a lot of that knowledge to the way I run my own show now uh, for George, and a lot of the knowledge I've gotten from George. I, I look at it as it, it's all inspiring. You know, you see a different painter paint a picture, and, you know, you're inspired by it. I think it's it's good that if they're trying to do things like Clone Wars, I say go for it. I mean, it will only force us to try even harder. And I think also that they'll find that it's not as simple as I think a lot of people want to deconstruct the Clone Wars too. It's just CG. You know, we're, that, that's such an understatement. I can't even explain it. Um, you know, we're, we've constantly since day one not been compared to our fellow television animated shows. We've always been compared to the latest Pixar release or How to Train Your Dragon. And, you know, talk about an odd perspective. I mean, those, those movies are fantastic. And, um, you know, incredibly talented people there. And I am very fortunate for Luke's animation to work with um, people like Joel Aaron and, and my team, Paul Zinnis, Athena Patillo, that, that take up the challenge that, okay, let's forget that we're a weekly TV series, and if that's what people expect from us, let's go for it. Uh, you know, it's a bit unrealistic in some ways, but Star Wars always been that way. Hey, make me a battle station as big as the moon and fly me a bunch of fighters at it in 1977. You know, but you define those things and you move forward, and that's what we always try to do. And when someone else does something, and even if you've inspired it, I think it's awesome. And um, Joel and I are going to try to make sure to be a couple light years ahead of them anyway. But um, it's all fun, and uh, I love our industry, the animation industry, and we're gaining ground every day with the types of shows we make. Um, my friends created after The Last Airbender, Dee worked on that show as well. Uh, we love that show. Um, the guys were always supportive of me when I went off, and I mean, on an interesting side note, every single episode director that worked on after The Last Airbender is now supervising director of some other series. So that kind of tells you about the structure that, that, and that group of friends that worked on the Airbender, we all knew each other back in the days of King of the Hill. And uh, you know, we all loved action adventure. We were all drawing a bunch of guys drinking beer along the fence. But the experience of doing that show laid the groundwork with us so well because of the people that we worked with on that show that were so experienced that we were then able to go out and, and do our own thing and create our own show. So I never see it as a competition, really. I just am proud of my friends in the industry and uh, the accomplishments they have. And I know they're proud of me and what I'm doing. And we all just try to make our industry of animation the greatest thing out there. So kids are always watching it. And I think in the United States, at least, more and more adults, too. Because uh, just because we're animated doesn't mean that uh, you know, it's just for kids, and I think that we're proving that, and if other shows come along and do that as well, I say bravo. Half the people that come by to say hello to me are not kids. They are, they are grown-ups who love this show and have loved it ever since it originally came out, as I do. This, this, this speaks to a broad spectrum of age and, and people. I think, I think that's very unique about it. And a lot of a lot of skeptics too. I've I've heard from a lot of people too because obviously there are many Star Wars fans that are or five and six fans out here as well that said, you know, I, I really did not want to like this show. Well, but you're waiting in line to get an autograph. Do you like it? They go, I actually really like it. And and they go, thank you. And it's very much don't thank us, thank they, thank Joel, thank everybody. It's strange way to look at it though. And I've taken umbrage with this before, which is like, I really didn't want to like this show. I'm like, did you pay attention to those three movies you like so much? It wasn't the lesson you were supposed to learn to go at things negatively with a bad attitude. <laughs> I mean, and that's one thing that presses in our industries. You know, we create these stories about these tales where you're supposed to be, you know, a lot less selfish and selfless, you know, so that you do things for other people, you're open to new opportunities, and you're open to evolving. And, and it's funny how a lot of fan bases get very tight and conflicting, and they always want to fight. It's like they're perennially stuck in the empire phase. But I guess that's a fun phase. They like the conflict. So anyway, that's we're getting too too far down the track here. Of the, the we're like more Jedi counseling on strange disturbances. You know, it's like you know. I love that when we talk back and forth. Tom and I would get in a session. We 
a half hour into it, we've just been babbling like Yoda and like, all right, we gotta work. Okay, let's knock out that narration, Tom. Yeah, but I gotta tell you, the other night we were hanging out in a hotel room and he found, I found that he worked on King of the Hill, which I didn't know, so I, you know, I, I whipped out my best Hank Hill and then he pulled his out and yeah, beat wondering. me to the ground, but his Hank Hill is awesome. It's <laughs> spot on. One who knows, that's spot on. Two years. Do it now, do it now. Uh, no, 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 Dave, uh, Goldman IGN. Hey, uh, so you mentioned uh, that George is the only one who knows Ahsoka's fate. I'm just curious, you know, A, the conversations, how much has he told you about her and Rex, and B, because you don't know exactly how long the series is going to end, how you decide where you want to, you know, how far is too far with explaining her fate. Um, it's, I mean, it's never too far. It's just a matter of what, what kind of incidents occur before, before the end. I mean, I have a very clear idea of it. And, um, I mean, George and I have debated things back and forth. You know, a lot of times I've felt one way and he's felt another. And then, you know, I know he's going to win, so I try to adapt and do things. But um, we have a lot of good discussions about it. And like any story that you're always working on, it evolves. Um, sometimes we do a string of episodes that really have nothing to do with either of them. And that's kind of the suspension uh, of it all. And it's constantly important to have an idea of what that ending is. And uh, I mean, I've, I've made extensive notes and outlines of it, even illustrating parts of it. You know, So I have very clear ideas. Because when I go to him with an idea like that, um, I mean, he'll have his idea and I'll have mine. And I would like to hear his first, <laughs> so I know mine's right. But um, you know, we go back and forth, and ultimately, and I want to get the ending that he wants. But I have a lot of vested interest in Ahsoka and Rex, since I you know, really feel like I had a, a much bigger hand in, in helping create those characters than, say, Anakin. You know, Anakin, I'm shepherding the way that I, I really feel I should um, on a George Direct um, you know, ideas. And where Ahsoka, I have a lot more flexibility at times to uh, create the character uh, in a way that, because we don't know what happens to her. So. But it is always important to have that end goal in mind, you know. People are very definitive about it. She either dies or she lives, you know, and I guess that there's some truth in that. But, um, and I, I always throw it in Ashley, and I'll tell her the story of her ending. And then, like a year later, I'll be like, oh my gosh, I figured something else out. Now this is going to happen. <laughs> just, I think it drives her a bit nutty, but it's, it's changed. good. It's like you're having forced premonitions. It's just provided by me instead of many glorious <laughs> speaking to you in your dreams, you know. You wake up and tell Matt, I had a bad dream. Dave told me an ending again. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or a good dream. It was awesome. Yeah, it's happened a couple times. I've been in tears a couple times. I've been excited a couple times. There's been all sorts of stories. And then there was one the unicorn. Then the unicorn, and the puppies, and then the cat walked in. No. Jokes, Burns, Journeys. Following on from that, there's a couple bits. So, number one, do Ashley and Dee know their fates in terms of Sofa and Rex? And then number two, I know most of you, for the first time, saw episodes one and uh, episodes two, which is the double part that airs here on September 19th in the, in the 17th, in the UK, probably months or so later. Um, um, what, what did you guys think of that end of that double part? Um, obviously, it was a year ago that you recorded the voices for most of it. So, what was your perceptions of season one? Uh, I mean, my opinion is. Fantastic! I just think it keeps getting better and better, and the, I mean, the animation is amazing. There's, I guess, uh, well, we've all seen the previews, right, of the, the clone training thing. So we can say that. So the clone training thing, like, you know, that's such a cool thing to be able to see because we haven't seen that. And, um, uh, the, I mean, the story is just in the first two uh, are very emotional. Uh, so I think everything just really kicks off with a bang season three, and I think it really lasts. In terms of Ahsoka's fate, no, I don't, I have no idea. I mean, I was just talking about the theories. I've heard all sorts of theories, but um, I, I mean, I have no idea what's, what's going to happen. And I like it that way, because I say, and I truly mean it, I trust Dave. Whatever 
whatever happens, happens, and, and I'm fine with it, because he's going to do the best thing for the story, so he's my Jedi Knight. I'm his paddle. <laughs> I learned from him, so. She becomes a fry cook on Venus. <laughs> um, me and the boys have heard whisperings, but nothing definitive from command. Um, it's, uh, yeah, we'll see how that plays out. I, I very much want to know how it finally plays out, but I do not know final answer that George will have. Uh, the, the first two part of, uh, part of it made me cry. At one part, I cried out, I shouted. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a great showcase for how uh, the writers and the whole team uh, that makes this can make stories that are both personal and personally affecting and epic and awesome. Uh, and you have all of that in the first the two-part opener for this series. <laughs> I don't think anybody who has any, even the mildest interest in this show will, will be anything but, but impressed and, and thrilled uh, with it. And I, I hope you can see it in HD. Because <laughs> it's really super awesome. Yeah, it was. I, there was uh, actually a lot of emotion in the room, I think. You know, it's like, Kat was like, that choked me up. And I'm like, yeah, me too. <laughs> but just, uh, not just because of storyline, but looking at this, every time I look at this, you know, I'm just I'm amazed and thankful and honored to be involved with the show, but also that this is on television, you know, I just go, wow, people got to know what they're watching, and what they, this is so cool, you know, because there's not, I'll be honest, there's not a lot, uh, especially as a, as a father, there's not a lot of things to watch on television right now. We have more channels than ever, and I spend so much time, there's nothing on <laughs> so I was excited in that, in that there's a, a great story being told on television now that has a message and, and positive, as we mentioned before, but also looking at it and just going, wow, we get to live in this world for 22 minutes. I'm so thrilled. But it, so it was emotional on that level, but also I just think that, yeah, the, uh, the training and stuff, it's like people are going to be like, I want to go there. I want to be there. That's what you're going to take from those first two is you're going to want to be where they are. Start pushing for you know a new theme park. That's what I was <laughs> uh, hi, yeah, Council Panama. Uh, just a quick question for Dave. Are you planning to do another feature film, uh, animated in 3D, for perhaps next year? <laughs> no, <laughs> we're working so much on this show. Um, there's literally no time in my day. Um, we have so many episodes in production at one time. It's like, I mean, it's, it's no different, I guess, than directing a feature film, because they're all so extensive. Um, but, yeah, we, we attack it in 22-minute chunks, look at the result, say we can do all that better. Joel and I say we like this, we like that. We didn't like this, we didn't like that. Let's get that next time. You know, let's improve the facial rhythm. Let's improve the environment. Let's make the organic environments look better. We need more leaves, more grass, we need things to feel softer, you know, but still maintain the style of our show. So, you know, we're if if we ever got to that point again, I will say this, if we ever got to the point where we had time to do the movie, we would we would hit that ball so far this time. Um, unlike last time. You know, we would go into it prepared for what we were really gonna be doing and know what we were gonna be doing. And uh, Joel and I discussed it, you know, if that ever comes up we're gonna swing away and uh, do everything we can, but I'm, you know, I'm so happy with what we're doing now. I mean, Lethal Trackdown for me at the end of last season was a huge achievement that, you know, I got to, to write it and direct it, and that was a big deal for me personally, and it uh, gave me a lot of confidence because I liked how it came out. And uh, my episodic directors, they're all firing on all cylinders these days, so the work that's coming out is really impressive, and uh, I know George couldn't be happier with it. And, and happy George is a Happy Dave, so, you know, <laughs> an easier day for Dave, so, uh, yeah. We're George leaves today. Dave leaves to us. <laughs> 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 <Pretty much. laughs> Steve Lawson, Geek Out Loud. Um, this is kind of a specific question because that's what my audience demands, but uh, given the vast universe and all the different designs of, of aliens and characters and that sort of thing that George and, and his team has come up with in the past, uh, just wondering if in the third season or even beyond, we'll see Ben Quadranero's species show up at all. <laughs> <laughs> see, this, this is an uh, epidemic now. <laughs> <laughs> ben Quadranero 
I have to really doubt it. <laughs> Kyle Newman's just making a big push for an action figure. Um, I just don't think that uh, he's not a very practical guy. It would change the doors to most of the spaceships that we built to have that big head try to fit through them. How does he reach the controls? I mean, there's just a lot of problems. Can he reach his mouth with that hand? Um, Ben's had a hard time. I mean, if we took a time in one of our episodes to explain what happened to him after the, the Bootsie Classic, I mean, that, I can imagine, well, the sad thing is I can imagine it, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that, that we would do it, and then Newman would blow up all your cell phones and run you over to watch it. I don't know who you're talking Oh, he's the director of Fan, oh, and he for years has had this push for Ben Quadrineros. If you didn't know this, that's even equally shocking. <laughs> so this is a completely unmotivated, really. So your fans, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't continue. Yes, it's Jason Swank. Oh, I see. Jason Swank. It's starting to add up now. This is a Phantom Menace-like conspiracy. Unlike the Jedi Council, I'm a bit more aware of the corruption in this sense. So, yeah, fooled we are not, Tom. No, yeah, I mean, I don't know. The bottom line is that on a goofy thing like Ben Quarteneros, we have such a narrow build of characters and assets that um, we're very careful about which ones we choose. You know, we, we try to do a balance of classic characters that are based off of designs you saw in the cantina, um, concepts that, that Ralph McQuarrie had come up with that never actually saw the light of day, things that Doug Chang did in, in the prequels, and, and then new, new characters as well, you know, so it's, it's always a blend. It, it was something we did a lot in season one was characters you knew, types of aliens you knew, but then we had to make a decision and, and do some new types, you know, um, Robinina, the little fish guy, was a new one, and Harrison Newbig was a new one. And it's always hard sometimes as a creator to think that you're, you're putting those into the lexicon of characters for Star Wars, because you don't, I tend not to value them as much as like seeing, um, you know, an Athorian or a Rodian. They seem like Star Wars to me. I, it is hard for me to wrap my head around that little kids will see Robinino as a Star Wars character for them. So I have to look at, step back and look at a bigger picture of it. But uh, inventing new aliens is always fun. It's really difficult to get that Star Wars feeling because when they when they invented it in '77, they did a lot of like people in masks. And now in the CG world, everybody wants backward bending legs and LinkedIn arms and the impossible type character. And but in a lot of ways, to be honest, those feel less Star Wars like to me most of the time. So it's a very big challenge to design. Um, Star Wars character, but yeah, Quadrineros. And I, I want to throw out a quick idea because it, it's, it's fascinating to me, and, and I certainly understand it, that the, the drive to, to tease out the, the strands of what is going to be woven together, of what is coming down the pike. And I think back to when I, I saw original episode four, and what a surprise, an utter surprise that was. Walking into the theater, walking into the cantina, all of the things that are showing, it's like, I've, I've never seen anything that seems like this. All of it was a surprise. When I went to see episode five, and, and, I, and I didn't read a million reviews, because I, I, it didn't exist. I didn't know that, that Vader was Luke's father. And, it, and the way that, and that's what it was like in the theater when I saw it. Because the, the theater didn't know it either. And in a way, I mean, there's a, there's a wall of secrecy that holds these wonderful secrets back, but I think it's a good thing. It's a good thing for the fans and the people who love this to see something and to say, I cannot believe that, oh, that is, that is, I, that, because you didn't expect it. So I think it can be seen as, as a really positive thing because there aren't a lot of, of, of fresh, genuine surprises in the world or in entertainment. Something that you don't know what's coming down the pike you, you already. But with our show, hopefully, you know, with, with some of that wall of secrecy, you have that. You still have that. And that's a wonderful thing, I think. And, and to give people something to do uh, in the meantime, I would suggest looking at these, like, like last season, when you see somebody in a hood and a robe, and we take that so for granted because it's beautiful. 
and it's wonderful, and it's Star Wars, right? The amount of time and work that somebody has put into that is is so taken for granted, and, and obviously kids are just looking at it because they just, you know, I mean, that's their world, they accept it. So go back and look at these episodes again, and look at all of this, and you know, it's, it's wonderful to look at the stories, but now start digging deeper and going, you know what it took to make that scene possible, to have Plo and Soko walk through that space, and look at that background and the depth of field and all the things that are going on there. There's, there's your Star Wars, because that's, again, what did George do before? He took us to a place we'd never been to before. This show is taking us to a place we've never been in CG animation, in my opinion. And then all of the things that go on and, and, and appreciate the other, the other parts of this, this uh, machine that are creating this. Because Dave has given us such a great appreciation for doing that and, and seeing all that it takes to make those the possible. detail in the art. Hey again, I'm afraid. Um, I just wanted uh, each of you your favourite episode and why. Well, uh, ambush for me. I mean, because it was all about me. No, no, because it was all about Yoda and uh, and the clones. And um, you know, you know, for an old school guy like me, it was just just a wonderful introduction to start the whole thing off because it really was a bridge between you know, the old and the new. And to this day, I, I can't go an hour without, you know, some fan saying, it's still my favorite one or my top two or three, but, uh, you know, but no, it was, it was a brilliantly wonderful bridge to say, here we go. Um, I have three, but the fast Senate Spy, because it was so much fun to record and to, to watch the movie that it was basically based on. Um, uh, Ryloth, uh, Innocence of Ryloth, because that script was just so great that Henry Gilroy wrote and made me cry when I read it, and playing Numa was fun, and then Rookies, because I'm just yeah. a huge um, supporter of the Shroops, and, and I come from a army family, so to see what Dee did in uh, portraying the Troops, it was just, it was amazing and really touching. It was a team effort, man. A team effort. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I, I particularly love Rookies. It was a really a, a great challenge. I think it was very successful, and that's it's definitely a fan favorite. And it definitely connects to military and connects to families. There was a guy who came up to me. He had just finished a Rex costume for himself and a Pons costume for his son with the handprint on it and everything. And I said, you know, you two, you're going to love the opening of season three. <laughs> But I also got to throw in the deserter. The deserter means a lot as a family man uh, to see the story of that, the personal story of the clone that has a family, the sacrifices that he has to make, and uh, and also to see what happens between him and, and also for Rex is particularly affecting, uh, and, uh, along with the rest of the, of the fantastic uh, Obi-Wan Grievous action. And that's, a, that's a killer episode for me too. Yeah, of course, I have to say I loved rookies as well. Um, but I also love, I thought Lightsaber Lost was gorgeous. I thought um, just the shots of Ahsoka jumping um, and then falling on the big projection screen was amazing. But I also, I think I loved uh, the season two finale, Lethal Trackdown. I love Ahsoka and Bill Coon together. I think they have a really cool relationship and um, uh, I like seeing the two of them together more and seeing how close they really are and how much she respects them. Um, I really like to see that. So, and that episode was just gorgeous. I mean, it was visually stunning. I, I think that's the thing I'm in awe of most is just seeing how it's even possible that you're putting that on television. <laughs> I can't even wrap my head around how they do it. So I just thought it was really beautiful to watch. Yeah, it was, it was fun, and of course the best thing about episodes like that, when we have, you know, a lot of lines together, we are farthest apart from each other in the room then, for separation, for the engineer, for a sheer technical thing. So Ashley and I are, are like, you know, we have all these lines that we're sharing, and she's on one side of the room, I'm on the other side of the room, so it's, it's pretty funny, but that that is actually one of my favorites. But uh, Deserter, when I saw that as well, when we did it, I remember Dee and I were just like, man, I cannot wait to see this. And then seeing how it looked and how it, it just came out, it was really one of my favorites. And then Lightsaber Lost as well. But I do have a special place on, on, the, on the selfish side, on the Obi-Wan side. The, the whole uh, Mandalorian arc, uh, the Duchess of Teen, and Anna Graves, a tremendous voice actress, she did a wonderful job uh, with that. 
that was so cool, and that's the one that I certainly get so many fans coming up saying, man, it was awesome to see that world of Obi-Wan and, and dive a little deeper. And quite frankly, to get to go places with that character that Sir Alec and Ewan didn't get to necessarily go was quite an honor, and, uh, and that was really cool. Well, it's really hard for me to pick. I like them all, and I would have trouble picking any one because I, I have, you know, four really great upstock directors, and I really appreciate their work, and I hate putting one of them ahead of the other. Uh, they all do such great work. Um, a, again, I said on a personal level, Lethal Trackdown was a big deal. The Boba Fett arc was a big deal. It was a huge responsibility uh, creatively to tell that story. And what I like about Lethal Trackdown is if you kind of step back, the primary characters being Plo Koon Ahsoka or a singer Boba Fett. Um, outside of Boba Fett, who even as a child wasn't developed that much um, in Star Wars before, you had four characters that are, are not really that well-known carrying the entire episode. It's not resting on Anakin or Obi-Wan or Padme um, to get you from A to B. And I think that in story time, we have a lot more latitude there. And Plo Koon's emotions and his character is something, again, that I can develop more. And same thing with uh, Ahsoka. Their relationship <laughs> works really well. And, uh, you know, Boba Fett, I, I really wanted to do a, a Sergio Leone kind of thing with those episodes. Um, well, a great filmmaker to try and follow in a small way, you know, and uh, Kevin Kiner and I worked very closely on the music for those uh, three episodes in, in great detail, which he and I don't actually have a lot of time to do. Kevin has to really produce the music very fast, and he has one of the hardest jobs in all the Clone Wars following John Williams. I mean, you put Star Wars music with anything by John Williams, and it makes it phenomenal. If you saw the fireworks last night at Disney, they were like unbelievable. You know, I think a major part of that was just John Williams. You can sit there and listen to that music and it's like you're having a life-changing experience. So <laughs> Kevin has to follow that somehow and I think he does a brilliant job. And in the Boba Fett trilogy, he and I went back to really giving character motifs to everybody. So Boba Fett had his for when he's singing of his father and he had the evil harmonica kind of sound for or sing. And uh, I thought that helped make them feel a lot more like classic Star Wars in a lot of ways. And the humor, I thought, played well in that episode, which is something I've been playing with, you know, uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan, I had a little bit of good humor when they came running out of the elevator and Anakin told him to go save his girlfriend and Obi-Wan got caught off guard. That kind of humor, I thought, started to work. And Hondo saying, looking at Boba Fett and saying, not mine, I take it. You know, that's kind of funny stuff that I like. So, um, and I thought it played well um, in the episode. So, yeah, I guess definitely lethal track them. But since then, we've gone beyond that anyway. So it's kind of a... Kind of old news, you know, and I'm still proud of Ambush and everything in between. So uh, I guess that's a roundabout way of saying I like, I like the whole thing. Uh, for me, it just kind of always changes. Uh, I think I have a favorite, and then uh, I see another one, and I'm like, oh, that's, that's it. That's got to be my favorite. Then I think about it, and I'm like, well, actually, there might be one from season one. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I have a few that just kind of stick out in my head. Uh, I really enjoyed Rookies from season one. I really enjoyed um, R2 Come Home. Uh, I like the Mace Anakin stuff. I, it's like this weird tension that uh, you don't know if they like each other, you don't know if Mace likes Anakin, but they kind of have to be professional. And uh, So it's kind of, a, kind of a fun thing to play, and I think kind of fun to watch. Um, I'm a fan of R2, so I, I like that also. Uh, so it, 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 it's Zillow Beast for yeah. kind of just, just kind of cool. I don't know how to say it. Anakin. Yeah. Control. Anakin. I can't. <laughs> You're so emotional. Uh, but uh, it's just, uh, I don't know, I'm always jumping around. Um, Clone Wars is steeped in a lot of classic film, like right? we were talking about Satisfies, the four days, like they were lost, the Stray Dog. Um, if there were any, and, and, and it's, it's good because, you know, I have a conversation with my kid about movies that they were about, and show them to him and he's actually eager to watch them. I mean, you know, probably not straight, but not yet. He's only eight. So, but his uh, name is. But his name is Anakin. That's right. Um, but, uh, like, if, if you were to sort of in a really roundabout way point us to some kings in season three, what kind of movies should we be looking to? Maybe not the, you know, maybe not something obvious but just kind of things that hint at uh, themes or, or anything like that we might be exploring. Stuff that you guys are looking at 
in the behind the scenes as, as inspiration. Episodes one, two, and three, four, five, six. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> You're all looking at me. <laughs> um, I, I guess, you know, Battle of the Balls and Longest Day, Saving Private Ryan, Band of Brothers, those come into play a lot. Um, then there, there are some odd influences. Uh, Temple of Doom is kind of an influence at one point, I would say. Um, it's very tricky. There, there was a, a kind of Lord of the Rings thing happening at one point. I, mean, uh, I guess it doesn't really give anything because you can make up anything you want. Um, one, of, one of my favorites is Predator. So <laughs> that was an influence and that was a really awesome one to have. So I even when I watched Predators recently and then everyone told me they liked my film afterwards. So I did some PR for Rodriguez wearing my cowboy hat. And that was, I thought it went really well. I remember that said, yeah, I get that every I don't know why, but sixteen candles. Like weird science. <laughs> no, no. no. So chance to meet the ball. No, but you know we use film language references all the time. You know, to, for how things might move, and we send sequences to animators from all sorts of things. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say that in um, you know, it's a, a kind of an Alcatraz thing at one point, uh, but. <coughs> You know, you know, I think in season three it's less so. It was, it was very direct in season two. I mean, we're dealing with King Kong and Godzilla at one point. You know, you're dealing with body snatchers and other. I mean, it was very direct references. And, and this this year it's kind of like that was a learning experience, and now we're just kind of blending it back into kind of the Star Wars. Well, like you could say the Hidden Fortress is an influence on A New Hope, but you know, it's it's really you know the peasants, and then, and then beyond that, not not so much. And we didn't do a lot of, of direct um, stray dog things this year. Um, there are some stories that when you tell them, you're like, oh, this is kind of like this. And you realize that after the fact, and just because you realize that doesn't mean you're not going to tell your version of the story. So, um, but I, I have a, a whole new group of writers that I'm really excited about. And uh, throughout the year, you'll be meeting and possibly even interviewing this year. So I'm real proud of those guys. And, I think they did a great job. So uh, we have a broader base this year, and I think it's really paid off for us story-wise. All right, last question, you guys. Uh, hi, Mike Cohen from Frontlines, the Clone Wars podcast. Um, we saw the other day uh, the, the clone commandos were finally revealed, and they're going to be in season three. Um, now, the video game had a bit of a, a cliffhanger ending where we didn't know about the fate of one of the characters. Are you thinking of taking an opportunity to finish off that storyline that's never been, that we've never been given closure on? And if you do, will the clone commandos have separate voices like they did in the video game, or will they all be voiced by me? Well, no, we're not really finishing off that story, like I would say. As I recall in the game, the game kind of ends going into a Kashyyyk with Yoda. So, you know, you know how difficult Wookiees are for us with their hair simulation problems and super hair gel Anakin Skywalker style. So, um, you know, we're, we're not really picking that up. It, it, the, the Republic Commanders are mainly a very big nod from me to fans because I know they like them so much and I enjoy that game. And uh, it's, it's not very detailed thing at this point. It's just a, a super fun thing for me to get to do. If, you know, there was a lot of more extensive use of them, I would say that, you know, I would use the, their clones. And, and again, it's something that I think when you deal with continuity, you deal with um, all these vast EUs and stuff like that. In a game, you have to give them different voices because you have to clearly understand who's talking when you're shooting something. And they the Republic commanders themselves came about because they wanted to make a game where you had a much more robust trooper that had a type of special heads-up helmet. And you know, so the necessities of a video game drove the creation of these characters, which really, frankly, isn't the normal way that you do things in Star Wars. Um, but they're beloved characters, and thus, you know, because of that love, they, they find their place, they find their footing in the Star Wars universe. Um, but, you know, we are under the George umbrella of direct George Lucas um, things. You know, George has, has said you know, he has his movies and he has his television series, and that's what he focuses on as being a star. We can bring things in from the outside every now and then, but you know they might not fit exactly like you read them in a comic book or a novel. It doesn't invalidate those things whatsoever. They're still super fun and exciting, and they've definitely helped us create something new and exciting. But you know, when I sit down to talk Mandalorian with George, 
you know, we're talking about the Duchess of Tima of Mandalore and the Mandalore that we have in the Clone Wars, and we're talking about how they're struggling to be a pacifistic society. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about the Mandalore and a fractured group of warrior-like clans, though I have the knowledge of that, so I know how we can kind of move between that and whatnot in the, in the different years, and I'm constantly on the phone when I think there are issues and trying to, to keep it all together, so. Um, the Republic Commandos, though, are just, you know, let's face it, bottom line, the armor's cool. <laughs> bottom line. And, and that makes it really fun for me. And, you know, I forget these, all those guys anyway. They all seem like different people to me. I, I, I can't ever believe it when I watch the episodes and I go, oh, right, that's all D. Man, that's weird. You know, I mean, Cody seems like a completely different guy than Rex. So, you know, I, I would like, you know, to end probably by saying that these guys up here, they've done a tremendous job. I mean, when I talk to Ashley here, I don't think of Ahsoka. When I watch Ahsoka, I don't think of Ashley. That's a hard thing to do. You know, sometimes you watch an animation, you hear a voice, and you go, I know who that is. And it kind of takes you out of it. But they're all such chameleons at what they do. Um, he's someone that's not here, Corey Burton, that I would love to bring up. I mean, he's Cat Bane, he's Dooku, he's Zero. And frankly, anything else in between that I need at any given time. Um, I'll say, hey, can you do this? And he'll just change his posture in his way, his throat, and boom, there it comes. He's really incredible. And uh, Nika. Nika plays Ventress. I mean, you saw a little bit and blurb of her here and there if you came to the season three panel. So uh, she is phenomenal. Ventress gets a really great role this year. Um, Life-changing experience, so to speak, for her. So and it was great to give Nika that much more to do. And if you think about it, she had very little to do in all of season two. So when you get hired, sometimes you have to wait on the sidelines a very long time till we can, you know, get back to you and your point of plot. I mean, even Ahsoka from time to time will be out of it for a while. A lot of the clips I show here don't have, you know, in it at all, Anakin or Obi-Wan. And then, you know, they're kind of grousy about that. But you should see, it's funny, when we all watch an episode together, I can tell. They were watching an episode, the two of them sit there, and the Anakin and Obi-Wan come on the screen, and I hear them go, finally. <laughs> now the episode's good. Before it was just D, 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 D. You know, they're all kind of, you know. D and Tom, you know, without really realizing it, landed an amazing role in Clone Wars. And D is probably in almost every episode, just because he's the clones. And then Tom, this is like one of those trivia questions. Tom is in every episode of the Clone Wars because he's the narrator. You know, so I get to talk to him all the time, which is awesome for me because we spend the first half hour always just geeking out about whatever we've heard, whatever's coming up, and are you going to Comic-Con and will I see you next? Because Tom is uh, phone patched into me. I really only see him in places like this. So, convention time. Here you are. We just keep going until suddenly we hear the engineer going, <coughs> Yeah. <coughs> and I hear him tapping his watch, you know. <laughs> but it is fun. And I, I would say, too, that to you guys, you know, I, I know you you have your own, you know, all your media outlets, and um, I know a lot of, of what you do and write, and, and I, I think it's always awesome, you know, even when, when some reviews might not be always so sterling as I would like, you know, it's, I don't mind it, I mean, I think it's all fair, being a fan myself, I totally get it, you know, and I, and I enjoy it, I think it's all part of it, and uh, it all comes from a place, you all deeply love this stuff, you wouldn't be here otherwise, uh, and, and you challenge me all the time to make this show better. That's what I want to do. I want to make this show as good as it can possibly be. I want to make it so your heads are exploding with how good this show is. <laughs> and uh, if I have to fight to do it and improve to do it, I will do it. You know, and I accept the challenge. And I appreciate your uh, love of this stuff um, as, as much as my own. And I respect it. So thank you guys for being here and coming to Star Wars Celebration. I think that um, the organizers did a phenomenal job, uh, Lucasfilm. Uh, they work tremendously. Uh, if you're lucky enough to catch Mary Franklin, if, you know, if you're lucky enough to know who she is, please tell her thank you. Uh, she is so hardworking, works just as hard as any one of us. Because uh, we can't make this show and get it going without people like her um, being the backbone of the company. And uh, it's a big team effort from Lucasfilm. Uh, it's not just Lucasfilm Animation making clones, it's all of Lucasfilm, George inclusive. So. Uh, Tell the Lucasfilm people thanks, and uh, let me thank you guys for being here.
It means a lot. Well, another close to another wonderful show. Obi-Wan Kenobi here saying thank you for listening to Frontlines, the Clone Wars podcast. Brought to you, of course, by StarWarsDaily.com. The force is strong with you all, and it will be with you always. 